It happened once, and that's what I want to talk to you about, and it will happen again, and I'll speak about that at the very end of the message today. But it was the day that every person on the planet heard the voice of God, heard the audible voice of God. It happened at the beginning, and it happened at the end. And on that day, when the entire planet heard the voice of God, God asked three questions to humanity. And I, I believe God is still asking these questions today, and I'll give them to you in just a few moments. It seemed like just when we finished last week, finished reeling from the Buffalo shooting in a supermarket where 10 lives were tragically taken on a Saturday afternoon while shopping at a, at a food store, a man burst shortly after that into a church in California and starts shooting at a Taiwanese church while it's happening. And then it seems that just when you catch your breath, the tragedy of Uvalde, Texas happens today, Tuesday, and 21 people are killed. 19 10-year-olds are killed. For those that are watching from different parts of the world in one of our states, we began to experience such a tragedy. It, it, it hit home for us here in New York City because it was just a little over a decade ago, about 55 miles from New York City in Newtown, Connecticut. We experienced that when a gunman came in and 26 and seven-year-olds were gunned down and six adults, just a little over an hour from New York City in Newtown, Connecticut. And when tragedies happen, people ask questions about God. Tragedy breeds these God questions. But I want to bring you back to a time where God asked the questions to humanity after the ultimate tragedy that hit. The tragedy that hit was really is what's causing even the heartache today that we're dealing with around the country, around your country, and even around the world. And I believe that today, I want to start with the God questions first. I want to start with the questions that God poses on all of humanity. And let me tell you about that day. The time was the beginning. It's found in the book of Genesis. The population at that time where God spoke to the planet wasn't large. It was only two, Adam and Eve. The location was Eden, and it came right after the ultimate tragedy. It's when sin entered into the world, and God began to speak at that time. And today we're living in a time where I'm not sure that people are opening their ears to what God wants to say because I don't think we want to know sometimes what God wants to say. Because what God wants to say, we're finding out, is going against even what, what even the, our society and the, and, the, and the values that it seems that our society is holding on to. I was just reading where a few years ago in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a man started to sue the largest Christian book publisher, Thomas Nelson and Zondervan, for $60 million because they didn't like what 1 Corinthians 6.9 says. $60 million. Because in that verse, it says that don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he said his life is miserable because of this verse. And instead of blaming his sin, he blames the Bible. He thinks he can be more fulfilled by his lifestyle. But see, that's why when God speaks, I'm not sure if we really want to listen to what he has to say. But this is the challenge for us today. It's the challenge that God, I believe, is giving us these questions again. In fact, I want to tell you, I want you to write these down. These are God's three questions that he gave for the planet 
all the way from the very beginning. And I want to just read them to you. Let me read them to you, and then we're going to begin to look at them because I think it's important for us to look at today with what we're facing. And like Pastor Patrick prayed, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And that's why these questions that I see in the Word of God that God posed from the very beginning really carry weight with us today. Here are the three questions that God asked at the very beginning to the entire planet. Number one, he goes, where are you? Number two, who told you? And number three, what is this you have done? Let me read them to you again. This is God speaking to the entire planet with the devil listening. Where are you? Who told you? And what is this you have done? God asked these questions on that ultimate tragedy day. It's when sin entered the world. People don't like to talk about sin anymore today. Let me explain to you what sin is. Sin is living life on my own terms with no regard for God, my creator, and my redeemer. That's what sin is. It's living life on my own, on my own terms. It's me living autonomously without any thought of God and doing what I want to do. It is, it is what Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, said. He said this about sin. He said, we have to recognize that sin is a fact and not a defect. It's a red-handed mutiny against God. Either God or sin must die in my life. If sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. But if God rules in me, sin in me will be killed. And I want to believe for that today. Listen to God's questions. Here they come. Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord called to Adam and said to him, here comes the first question, where are you? And he asked the second question, who told you that you were naked? This is when he was hiding because he covered himself with fig leaves. And finally, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Let me just be clear for the next few moments. When God asks a question, it's not because God doesn't know the answer. Let's be real clear about that. He is not asking to be informed. He is asking to see if man knows the answer to the question. It's God asking and posing upon humanity this question because it's a question to find an answer. It's a question to see, can you answer this correctly? I know God is saying, I know what has happened. The question is, do you know what's happened? The greatest question asker was a fictional character that was created by Sir Conan Doyle. It was called Sherlock Holmes, the great question asker, who was many times with his sidekick, Dr. Watson, and they would, they would ask these questions. And I was reading this one moment where they were having an intera interaction to try to solve a case, and Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. And after sharing a good meal, they retired in the woods in a tent at night. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, Holmes nudges Watson and asks, Watson, look up into the sky and tell me what you see. What a question to ask at 3 a.m. Watson said, I see millions of stars. Holmes asks, and what does that tell you? Second question. Watson replies, astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. And theologically, it tells me that God is great and we are small and insignificant. 
Horologically, it tells me it's about 3 a.m. And meteorologically, it tells me that we have a beautiful day coming. And then Watson asks the third question. What does it tell you, Dr. Holmes? And Holmes says, someone stole our tent. He says, that's what that tells me. <laughs> See, humanity doesn't realize that our covering is gone. We speak about everything except the obvious is where's God? We talk about everything else. We have something to say about all our surroundings, but nobody even states the obvious is where is God? Where is God in the, in the midst of all this? Let's start bringing God back into this because it's God that's asking the question. God is speaking to us. Where are you? It is God speaking the question to all of humanity. Whose voice are you listening to? And it's God that's speaking to us. What have you done? So just for the next few moments, let's try to, let's try to get our tent back. Let's try to get God back in. Let's not state the obvious, but let's begin to understand what we've lost and God is trying to come back into our society. So let me just build on these three questions for just the next few moments. Number one, here's the first question God asks, where are you? See, when God asked Adam, where are you? It was because he wasn't where he was supposed to be on his day-to-day -day walk with God. See, Genesis 3.8 speaks of a daily walk in the cool of the day that man and God would have in the garden. And one day, God was present, but man was absent. Man decided that he would walk on his own and leave God out. And instead of walking with God, he is now hiding from God. And when God asked this question, where are you? It is God asking man, why are you walking without me? Why are you trying to live without me? You're no longer walking with me. You've decided that you can do this by yourself. Some years ago, I wrote this in my prayer journal. And it were these words that I remembered constantly waking up in the morning. When I wake up in the morning and turn my soul towards you, I find that you are there already. Think of that for just a moment. I, I, I jotted that down in my prayer journal because for the Christian that's here today, what he was saying was, is God is already there in the word. God is already there in prayer every single morning, just waiting for us to come. He's waiting for us to meet him. When God took that walk in Genesis 3.8 and the cool of the day, which implies that every day Adam would walk with him, he's going, where are you? Where are you on this daily walk? I believe God is asking some of you here, where are you? I'm waiting for you each morning. I'm waiting for you in the word. And the question then comes is, am I walking with God every single day? See, today, when somebody asks you, where are you? It means, where do you stand on a current issue today? We have, re because there's no tent, we're looking at all the obvious things and we're, we're stating the, the current issues, but nobody is going, where are we with God? When somebody says, where are you? They want to know where you stand on Roe v. Wade. They want to know where you stand on the LGBTQ community as a church. They want to know whether you're Democrat or Republican. They want, to, they want to know whether you're Trump or Biden, gun laws and Second Amendment. And they want to know, when they ask you, where are you? They want to know, what side are you on? Let me just explain this today. When life is over, 
only one side matters. Let me just tell you that today. When life is over, let me explain to you what side. It is the cry of Moses in Exodus 32, 26, and it's this question. Who is on the Lord's side? That's really the question. Because wherever you stand, whatever aisle you're on, Democrat, Republican, Biden, or Trump, LGBT, whatever that is, you better be on God's side when it's all said and done. That's really the question. And that's the question God poses to everyone that's watching and everyone in this place today. And then God goes to the second question. Who told you? God was asking, whose voice did you let become greater than mine? That's what he was saying. He said, I have already spoken to you, but all of a sudden, another voice came in. See, we live in a world filled with influential and constant noise that is constantly trying to drown out the voice of God. It's constantly trying to take away that voice. Hearing God above the noise, above the chatter, above social media, above the news, it, is a, it has to take effort on everybody's part to go, God, speak to me. I want your voice to come. I, I've, I, the, one, of the, one of the most profound experiences that has happened to me of trying to hear God's voice above the noise happened when my children were still small. I'm, I'm here, I'm so thankful that this weekend my son came in from Washington, D.C. from his internship. And so, because it was a long weekend, and when, I, when he came in on Friday night after finishing his job, he took the train in, and my, my mind went back to a situation of trying to hear God above the noise. I, Cindy and I did something that every parent regrets, but you, if you do it, is you save up your money and you take your kids to Disney World. God, help us. And I remember the, the, the time that we went, and my children were little. We still had a stroller and pushing kids around, and we're ending, we're ending this, this thing. And we're coming to the end, and they wanted to see the fireworks at Cinderella's castle. So I said, okay, so I'm, one's pushing a sh stroller, one is holding a hand, and, and I, don't even, I don't even know if we had four children at that time, three at that time. And while we're there, it, there's thousands of people packed. They're looking at this castle, and, and fireworks are going up, and then we realize, where is Christian? He's gone. He's, he's probably at this time six, seven years old and gone, not even present. I think at that time it was Christian and Anna and Grace, and Christian is gone, and, and you do it any good parent. I thought he was with you, and then she said, I thought he was with you. You just, you ask those questions, and he's gone, and all of a sudden, so I'm thinking, well, he can't be far, and I'm, we're looking around, and we're looking through thousands, and nobody's paying attention. I knew he had a New York Yankees hat on, and I'm going... Is, have you seen, and I was asked, I said, Cindy, stay with these two. Don't, let's not lose them. And then I'll go look for Christian. And I was walking through people and nobody was paying attention. The, the, the fireworks were loud. Everybody's ooing and aahing and folks, and it hit me. It probably couldn't have been more than 45 seconds and it hit me. He's gone. 
Like he's gone. And then you start to think through, was he taken? Did somebody grab him? Where, where, where is he? And like uh, these thoughts are flooding my mind and I'm going, God, I, I need to hear from you right now because nobody is listening. Nobody's paying attention and I've lost my son. And I remember, folks, above all the noise, I heard the voice of God. And God said, find a policeman. That's all I heard. And I walked across this bridge, left the crowd, walked across a bridge, and there was a policeman. I was in a panic. He saw it. And I just looked at him. I said, I lost my son. He's got a New York Yankee hat on. I can't find him. And the policeman looked right at me and says, do you mean him? Christian, remember that we said, if you ever get separated, find a policeman. It's exactly what he did, waited there because he knew his dad or his mom would come and find him. But all I thought about was this, is that we need, if there's ever a time that we need to find the son, it's now. We need to hear his voice now. We need to find God now. We need to hear God today because voices today, listen, all those voices, all the voices that you hear around you are trying to bring definition to what only God can bring definition to. Don't miss this. When you remove the word of God, you remove the definitions of God. You have to understand that. When God's word is removed from society, then all of a sudden we've lost his definitions. See, we lose God's definition of marriage, of gender, of abortion, of life, of eternity. We lose God's definition of what he wants to say to all these things. When you do that, listen, listen to how the message puts Ephesians 2.2. 2. You ready for this? He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Think about that for just a moment. Because only God knows how life really works. We have allowed others to tell us how to live and what to accept. Let's go back to the voice who gave us life. Let's go back to the voice that called stars and planets into existence. Let's go back and find the son who says, who spoke the words and life existed, who says that it is good in Genesis chapter one. And it's the same God that says in Matthew, it is finished. I want to find that voice again. Let me be clear. When God defines something, his definition stands. Or as one, one pastor said, he said it like this, when God says something, the argument's over. It's over. We better be careful that we don't mistake in government policy for God's truth. You vote on policy, you can't vote on truth. Let me say that again. You can vote on policy, but you can't vote on truth. Truth stands this test of time. And can I just be very clear today? Truth be told, it's not just our society that needs to go back to the word of God. His church needs to go back to the word of God. The church needs to go back to the word of God. The church, whether you're visiting, whether you're watching online, 
We're not asking you to become a member of this church. I'm just saying, if you're from a, find a church that preaches the word that says, this is what God says. These are the definitions that God says. I was, I was struggling with whether to say this or not, but I am going to say it. People who say do it have no idea of what comes on after. <laughs> We're the ones that get the letters and the E, but it doesn't matter because it is, if it's truth and it doesn't matter, we'll stand for truth. But listen, I want to say this. I was sharing this with some of our leaders, and I want you to listen to this. I was listening to the Christian author, Philip Yancey, who's written a number of books that have touched so many people. His book, Disappointment with God, is a powerful book, but in his in his biography. I was reading the story of his journey and why he, this, this Christian author walked away from God who was raised in a church. This is where it comes. Truth be told, it's not just, and let's be clear. We can stand up here and preach the government and the schools and everybody has to go back to God, but the church has to go back to God. And he was raised at a time. The reason why he fell away from God was because of the church. It was the church. And he wrote, in his, he wrote in his biography, and he said, I was, brought, I was raised in a racist church in Atlanta, Georgia, called Colonial Hills. I'm just reading what the book says. It was during the 1960s when civil rights was being fought for and being contended for in our country. And Philip Yancey said this. He said his church would keep anyone of color outside, and they'd station ushers at the door to turn them away at the church. Think of this, to turn them away. And he said that the deacons, the deacons even printed up cards to give to all those that were non-whites that said, we cannot extend, this is the card, we cannot extend a welcome to you and we respectfully request you leave the premises quietly. That's the church, the church. He said, over months, the church let up a little bit and allowed people of color to come into the church. And he said, there was a local um, school in town called Carver Bible Institute that had some students attending that were not, that were non-white, that were showing up. And the church thought they were doing them a favor by giving them seats in the church. And finally, one of the students said, I, I'm starting to like this church and he just said, I'd like to become a member. And to which he was immediately denied and voted down. And what's amazing is Philip Yancey said the, the person that they voted down was Dr. Tony Evans from Dallas, Texas. And all I thought about was this, God, we got to get this right. The church has got to get this right. We've got to be on the side of truth. And we've got to make sure that the who told you is the voice of God speaking to us. It's not coming from our ethnicity. It's not coming from our culture. It's not coming from DC, but it comes right from the word of God that we've got to make sure this tells us what's right. And this tells us what we have to do. I came Friday night to next gen night. I was in, when I was at next gen night, I met someone who came up to me for the first time and said, I'm new. And so I, you know, for, for you that don't know, I don't wear a suit every moment of the day. 
So I was just wearing a sweatshirt and he, and I, he just goes, hey, my name is this. And I said, my name is Tim. I'm so happy that you're here tonight. I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm up from uh, one of the boroughs. And I said, how did, how did you get here and why are you coming? He said, someone invited me. And he said, the reason why I'm coming, and this is, he didn't know who I was. He said, I came here. I sat there and for the first time, he said, I realized that this is a church that preaches the Bible. And he said, I didn't fall asleep for the very first time in church. Let me just tell you this. If he didn't say that, I was in a lot of trouble. <laughs> then I would have said, I'm Pastor Tim. No, I wouldn't have said that. Listen, we have a responsibility as the church to tell you what God is saying. And you have to have a, the confidence, whether you're here in person or watching online, that if you were to ask us, if you were to ask any of our elders, any of our pastors, Pastor Patrick, if you were to ask Freddie, anybody, and say, who told you? Like that second question, we can say with authority, the word of God tells us. Because what the Bible says is what God says. That's what we believe. And finally, let me close. God asks the questions, where are you? Are you walking with me? And why aren't you walking with me any longer? That was the question to Adam. The first question, where are you? Why are you trying to walk alone? Why, why, have you, why, have you, why are you hiding instead of walking with me? The second question was, who told you? Whose voice has had the greatest weight in your life? Even when it contradicts what you want to do, then God finally ends up with this final question. We close with this today. What have you done? That's that th those words are come like a hammer. What have you done? I think when God asks, what have you done? God is saying, li you're living life without me. When you live life without me, it has catastrophic consequences. That when he says, what have you done? Why have you listened to another voice? It has consequences to it. What have you done? That whoever you, what God was saying was that whoever you let replace me as the, as the chief and principal voice in your life, that when you face consequences, you're going to find yourself looking to the wrong person to walk you through this. They're not going to be there for you. That serpent's not going to walk. That serpent you listen to is not walking with you through this. That what, the voice that told you do this is not going to be there. See, I think God speaks to our country. God speaks to nations and says, what have you done? We live in a country here that we're trying to remove under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. We're trying to take in God we trust off of every bill and of circulation in every government building. We take God out of schools. You take God out of government. You invite ungodliness. You remove prayer from the people. So when tragedy hits, God goes, then, you're, then at that point, you don't even look for me. You just question me. You pulled me out. And God goes, what have you done? What have you done? You're asking questions and I'm not even there. I've been uninvited into the schools and the government. I've been uninvited into Congress and into your capitals. I've been uninvited. And you're asking, and you're questioning me. God should be the one questioning us today, saying, what have you done? Listen 
to what God says. Listen to God's response to the men that remove him. He says in Psalm 2-2, he says, earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for their summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers say, let's get free of God. That's our society. Let's cast loose from Jesus, the Messiah. And this is what it says in verse four. Heaven throne God breaks out laughing. At first, he's amused at their presumptions. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up and asks this question. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? And it says that while men scoff, God laughs. God is speaking. God is asking a question to every politician. He's going, don't you know there's a king in Zion? There's a king who is in charge. When the Uvalde shooting took place in Texas, and Tuesday we hear about this, and Pastor Patrick comes up and leads us in that prayer on Tuesday night. My mind, I told him today in the back room with our elders, I said, it still echoes in my heart what he said. He, this is Pastor Patrick's prayer. He said, oh God, they were two days away. I'm just, I'm reading, I wrote down what he prayed because I, it, it just, it, it hit me like a sledgehammer. He said, oh God, they were two days, they were two days away from being let out of school. And then he says this, parents, this is what Pastor Patrick was praying. Parents were planning for vacation and now they're planning funerals. That's what he prayed. So here's my question. You remove God out. You take him out of the schools. You take him out of all of these agencies. And you take out the only person that can walk you through this moment. This is what Psalm 23 says. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Think of that for a moment. The only person that while, 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 while politicians debate, the only person that will be there in your darkest time is Jesus himself. He's the only person that will be there. A few years ago on June 28th, a young man bypassed clearly posted signs of warning, jumped over two offenses in Six Flags over Georgia. And somehow the 17-year-old found himself in, an un, in a restricted area where the Batman roller coaster was and instantly was killed of going over two fences and bypassing the signs. There were fences, there were signs, but he was still a fence climber. See, when you disregard God's fences and signs, we find ourselves on the wrong side in a very dangerous position. When, when, when you climb over these fences and you land in this place and you're wondering where is God, I'll tell you where, he's on the other side. He's on the other side of the fence. You just bypassed all the signs. You bypassed everything that God has said. He's posted signs up. He's posted the fences, and yet we still go. Can I just tell you today that there's hope? Here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. Regardless, remember the question, what have you done? But here's the miracle today. I want to give you the good news now. Regardless of what you have done, God is still merciful. God is still merciful. I, I, even if you may, have, you may individually have jumped fences and bypassed signs, 
You've may disregarded God's word even for your own life, for your family, maybe for something that's going on deep inside your soul and you've bypassed all that. I wanna to read to you today. It's gonna to be a number of scriptures, but I wanna close with this. I wanna to read to you probably the most moving passage of the Old Testament. Every time I read it, it moves me. It's a, about a nation that kept climbing the two fences and kept bypassing the signage. And every time they do it, they find themselves two fences away from God. They cry out, and here's the miracle. God keeps showing up and rescuing them. I, I want to read it to you. I want, I want you to see this with me and allow me just to read it. But I want you to see the fence climbing and the movement of God. It's the story of a nation on the wrong side of a fence. It's the story of God's mercy. The nation is Israel, and the one who tells the story is Nehemiah. Folks, I'm telling you, I'm going to read it to you, but you have to read it yourself. It may be a number of scriptures, but it's worth reading to you today. Here's what it says. You divided. He starts with all the way from, from the Red Sea. He says, you've divided the sea before them. You've passed through so they can pass through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And their pursuers, you hurled them into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a, and, and with a pillar of cloud, you led them by day. And with a pillar of fire by night, to light them by the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances. These, this is the signage. You gave them true, you gave them law ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made them know the Holy Sabbath. You laid down for them the commandments, the statutes, the law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven, the provision of God, the signage of God. For their hunger, you brought forth water from a rock for them, for their thirst. You told them to enter in in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. Okay, look at the first word of the next verse. But, but, here comes the fence jumping. Here comes the fence jumping. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and wouldn't listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember. Bypassed the signs and the fences. Your wonder, they didn't even remember your wondrous deeds. What you just, you got them out of Egypt. You opened up a Red Sea, water out of a rock, bread from heaven, good statutes, good laws. You'd performed among them. So they became stubborn. They appointed even a leader to return. So, so instead of trusting the leader that God put in place, you, you, they appointed their own leader so they can get them back to return to their slavery in Egypt. Are you out of your minds? Listen to this. But, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in loving kindness, and you didn't forsake them. Even, look at the next verse, even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemy. So what does God do? You! in your great compassion, didn't forsake them in the wilderness. Because look what it says, the pillar of cloud did not even leave them. I would, at that point, I would go, you get no pillar and you get no fire. You get nothing. Can I just tell you something? Thank God we're not gods. Thank God we're not gods. The pillar of cloud didn't even leave them to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light their way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, your manna 
you didn't withhold from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. And indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes didn't even wear out, nor did their feet swell. Look at this, folks. So their sons, it says, entered and possessed the land, and you subdued them. Now they're talking about the book of Joshua. The inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, you gave them into their hand and their kings and the people of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities. They took possession of houses, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate, were filled, grew fat, and and, and reveled, you ready for this, in your great goodness. But, again, you hopped the fence again. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you. You did it in the wilderness. Now you're doing it in Canaan. But they became disobedient, rebelled against you, cast your law. That means they bypassed the signs, jumped the fences behind their backs, killed your prophets who had admonished them so they might return to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors and oppressed them. But when they cried to you, it's amazing. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven. Come on, God. Seriously? You heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverance and delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon, here it is again. When does it stop? But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again. And therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And here it comes, folks. Look at it. Read it. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them. Why? It's according to your compassion. You admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they still acted arrogantly and didn't listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. But if, but by which if a man observes he shall live and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen however you bore them for many years and admonished them through your spirit and through your prophets yet you would not that they would not give ear therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the land nevertheless in your great compassion you didn't make an end of them or forsake them you are a gracious and a compassionate God, overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed when I read this passage of scripture. Six times it says the compassion of God, the compassion of God, the compassion of God. You know what God's compassion is? God's compassion is God's readiness to respond to man's movement back to him. If you just move, God goes... I'm there. If you just move today, if you just go, God, I want to come back. God, I want you in my life. God, I want, God just goes, I'm just waiting for a move. I don't care how many fences you jumped and how many signs you bypassed. If you're sitting in a spot right now, where are you? And you're going, man, I'm on the other side of the fence. And I'm telling you, God's compassion is waiting for the slightest movement today. Who told you? I listened to the wrong voices, Pastor Tim. What have you done? The consequences. I I, I don't even know what to do, but you better get God then into the mix here. 
When you read this, I think there's six times it's over and over again. They rebelled. They rebelled. God heard their cry. 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 I said at the beginning, it happened once. It's the day every person on the planet hears God speak. That's Genesis 3. Only two people on the planet, but they all heard it. And the Bible says in Revelation 7 and Revelation 20, it's going to happen again. Every nation, nationality, every people group is going to hear the Lamb speak again. But this time, there'll be no more questions. Because that question has to be settled today. He will ask this, so what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Just for a moment, I want to just say this to you today as we close in prayer. Let me give you hope today. There is nobody so bad that they cannot be saved. I want you to understand, I don't care how far you're on the other side of the fence, there is nobody so bad that you can't be saved. And here's the good news. And there's no one so good, they need not be saved. I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. If you're on the other side of the fence, you better get back to God today. That's what he's calling you back to today. That's what he's calling you to today. So if you're watching online, if you're here at 51st and Broadway, I want to give you a chance to get on the other side. I want you to give you a chance because here are the questions he's imposing to you. Before we impose questions to him, he speaks to you right now. Where are you? Are you walking without me? Every day he waits for you. And today he's waiting for you. Who told you? What voices have now risen up in your life? And God goes, let me be that voice. I've created you. And I want to walk with you every single day. And finally, what have you done? Today, I want you to answer the what have you done is, I've given my life to Jesus today. That's how I want you to respond. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? What does it mean to, give, to get on the other side of the fence? It's getting a second chance. It's really what Jesus calls a second birth. Jesus calls getting back over on the other side of the fence, being born again. That's what he calls it. And you that are visiting today, you that maybe have been coming today, you that are sitting here today, have that opportunity. As we close, I want to just give you an opportunity today to make the greatest decision of your life. This is the most important question anyone can ask you online. If you're watching from Belize or Kenya, if you're online and you're watching from the UK or from the Navajo Nation, Saudi Arabia, Finland, Indonesia, Malaysia, I'm talking to you and I'm telling you now, and those on 51st and Broadway, it's the most important decision you can ever make in your life. It's by saying, I want to be born again. See, Jesus says in John 3, 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And today you can be born again. Well, how, Pastor Tim? How do I do that? I thought I was born again when I came to church. I thought I'm being religious or because I'm a, a Jew or a Muslim or because I'm a Catholic or a Protestant. Those are all, those are all titles, but that's not what Jesus said. Well, I, I had a communion. I was confirmed. I had a bar mitzvah. Whatever all those things are, they're all good things. And some people even go to the good part and they just go, I haven't hurt anybody. I provide for my family. I believe in, in humanity. Those are all great things, but let me just remind you, there's nobody, there's nobody so bad they can't be saved, and there's nobody so good that they need not be saved. 
We all have got to get back to God today. And if you're here today and say, I get it, Pastor Tim. I want to be born again, but how do you do that? It's as simple as ABC. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. That all of us, starting with me, have been born with a condition called sin. I'm broken on the inside. I can't fix it myself. There's not a promise I can make, a program I can go to. There's not a religious center from mosque to synagogue to cathedral or church, not even this church, that can fix the inside. Only Jesus can fix that. How does that happen? That's the B word, believing that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to fix me from the inside out. He didn't come 2,000 years ago, die on the cross and say, you got to do good to get to heaven. Mm -mm. He said, you have to believe that God sent his son, that he would become our sin bearer. He died the death I was supposed to die. Lived the life that was impossible for me to live and gave me a reward I didn't deserve. And finally see, confessing him as Lord, saying, you're in charge now. You know, you don't just get Sundays for 90 minutes. You get every day. To be Lord means you're in charge. You're the boss. So when anyone asks who told you, God has the, the key voice in my life. God is the one in charge. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We confess him as Lord. Believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. If you're here today, I want everybody that's listening, would you just close your eyes and bow your head just for a second? It's going to take three minutes, three, four minutes, and then we close. We're going to sing and close out today. If you're watching online, I want, you just to, I want you just to listen. From a living room, from outside, you may be in a car, you may be even in a, in a fitness center, wherever you're at today. This is the most important question. Please, Christians, if you're here today, I want you to pray. And those that are here, this is the most important question. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God today. I want to be born again. I want God in my life. I want God to change me from the inside out. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about this church, these seats. There's nothing we can do to change you. Only God can change you. Only God can change you. Who told you? Jesus told us. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Jesus told us. The Bible says. And if the Bible says it, God says it. And if you're here today, say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God today. I want to be born again. And just, we're, we're doing this for the, probably another month or weeks or so, but I want, I want to just ask you this. We're not going to make you stand. We won't make you come forward. But if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say, Pastor Tim, you're getting ready to pray a born again prayer. When you pray that, would you put me in that prayer? I want to be part of that prayer. I want to start a journey with God, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Because the next time God talks to the planet, there is no more questions. There is no more questions. It now becomes a statement. What did you do? Or this is what you've done with Christ. And today you could do the right thing. When, when someone asks, what have you done? I've started a brand new journey with God. I am born again today. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And we'll all pray it together. But if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, would you make me part of that? Would you put me in that prayer? 
right now, if that's you, without any hesitation, say, put me in that prayer. Would you just hold up your hand? Say, put me in there. Hold it up as high as you can, because I want to make sure I see every hand that's up in this place. There's one, there's two, there's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Got you over there. Thirteen. 14, 15, 16, 17. Keep them up. I just want to make sure I see every hand that's up. I want to make sure that's 17. Anybody else on this side? 18, 19, 20, 21. Anybody in the balcony? I want to make sure I don't want 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, all the way in back, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. Gotcha over there. 38, you can put your hands down. Thank God for every one of you. Those, those that are watching online, whatever country you're from, whether it's New York City, around the country, around the world, uh, I want you to join those 38 because we're all going to pray this together. But if you're deciding with us, I want you just to text, I want you just write in the chat line, put the word decided. Decided. I want you to put that in because I want you to pray with us. Come on, wherever you're at, from Belize, from Malaysia, from Indonesia, Wherever you're watching, from Germany, in the UK, from the Navajo Nation, New Zealand, I want you just to put it right in there. In Trinidad, put it right in there now. Just say, decided. Come on, can we all pray this together? Join the 38 in the room and all those that are watching online. Come on, let's say this out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, let's say this loud now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.